Welcome to the Footwear Insight Extra podcast from Formula 4 Media in Great Neck, New York. Formula 4 Media publishes vertical trade magazines, Outdoor Insight, Team Insight, Textile Insight, and Footwear Insight with related digital publications, Team Insight Extra twice monthly, Textile Insight Extra once a month, and Footwear Insight Extra on Wednesdays. Now it's time for the latest podcast. Welcome to this first Footwear Insight podcast of 2021. I am Bob McGee, Senior Editor for Formula 4 Media in Great Neck, New York. And today I am speaking with three attorneys with New York law firm Kenobi Martins about a growing problem in the footwear industry in both in the United States and around the world, counterfeiting and intellectual property. Joining me are Susan Natland, who advises on all aspects of domestic and international brand protection and enforcement, advertising law, unfair competition, copyright, data privacy, and security matters. She is joined by colleague Jonathan Hyman, whose practice focuses on domestic and international trademark prosecution, enforcement, and clearance, and Rob Ruby, managing partner of Kenobi Martin's New York City office, where he represents a wide range of clients from individual fashion designers to multinational corporations. Susan, let's start with you. Could you describe you know, the current state of the counterfeit footwear soft goods situation in, both in the U.S. and globally? I can answer that question really more broadly than, than even footwear. Interestingly, or maybe not surprisingly, we are seeing elevated levels of counterfeit activity during this, especially during this pandemic. So this is a very timely topic. A lot of consumers are, are shopping online. The online platforms as well as online websites is really an easy way for the bad guys to sell counterfeit products. So we are seeing increased activity. Counterfeit detection Protection services have registered a 38% increase in counterfeits during the pandemic. So unfortunately, we're seeing an even bigger problem than we already had. So I think this topic is very timely. And I think it will be helpful to discuss, you know, some of the things that companies can do to combat counterfeiting, especially online counterfeiting. Jonathan and Rob, do you, either of you want to weigh in on this? I think part of the uptick also is a result of squeezes on budgets as a result of the pandemic. And so those squeezes and budgets sometimes impact their enforcement efforts or their policing efforts overseas. And so as those policing efforts are decreased, some of the, uh, as Susan called them, bad guys may step up their counterfeiting activities knowing that there's less likelihood of ramification. Yeah, just to, to piggyback on what Rob was saying, this is Jonathan Hyman. I think that one of the other things that might be not, we might not see fruition for a couple of years is there might've been decisions during the pandemic to kind of pull back or restrain the number of filings, whether it be trademarks or copyrights or patents, design patents, just for budget reasons. And that could have ramifications down the road because you might not have the the IP in place to to go after future enforcement. But has this whole counterfeiting thing gotten worse with the, with the consumer's greater use of e-commerce and direct-to-consumer, particularly eBay and Amazon? Are there particular places where it's worse or maybe it's not? I think it's getting worse, honestly, everywhere, whether it's specific platforms or whether it's just online in general, we even see counterfeiters creating, you know, dupe sites that completely mirror a genuine uh, manufacturer's website. These counterfeiters are very creative. Some of it's through platforms, some of it isn't. Some of it's dealing the company's trademark and, and putting it in their domain names to try to divert traffic. That way, there's really so many different ways that these operators can try to divert and dupe consumers. I think the online platforms, the, the ones you mentioned and other online retailers are some avenues, but there's certainly others as well. Well, Susan, has there been one method that the bad guys have used more than others since the pandemic began? You know, I can't pin it on one, to be honest, Bob, but we definitely see an increase in the online counterfeit activity. Um, traditionally, people may think about walking down the streets in LA or New York, 
and seeing these counterfeit stalls everywhere in certain areas of cities. But I think these bad actors are getting very creative and sophisticated. And also they're able to shield their identity, which is a whole nother issue, which we can talk about. But I think certainly during the pandemic, the days of going to Chinatown or where these bad actors are in cities and trying to vet it out that way are becoming less and less. Yeah, and I think that, that social, this is Jonathan Hyman again, that, that social media is also another place where we're seeing a lot of these pop up. So you're seeing a lot more infringements on Instagram and even on social media. I mean, there's the one of the, like Susan was saying, it used to be that you can walk down certain streets in LA and New York City and know you're going to go after a bunch of people selling fake wallets and purses and clothing. But now you're dealing with social media. There could be private groups that you're not even seeing that are hard to track down. And that's certainly through Instagram and other social media network or platforms you're seeing a lot of, of counterfeit goods coming in through there. And what about young? I mean, I know some brands are trying to use uh, platforms like t- TikTok to sell, to reach their young consumers, to buy their footwear products. Are, are these bad guys posing on these, on these social media sites to sell as well and saying they're, you know, uh, for example, uh, for saying they're Nike or some other brand uh, fooling the consumer? Yeah. And I think there was a report from 2019 that said, and this was in 2019, said that nearly 20% of the posts analyzed about fashion on Instagram featured counterfeit or illicit products. So it's definitely a place where you're seeing that. It's also, you know, you're, you're seeing a target audience there too. If you've got people who are liking Instagram posts or TikTok, it's, a, it's giving a roadmap of counterfeiters to try to target those individuals as well. And is counterfeiting more of a problem with athletic footwear brands or is it, I mean, I guess brown shoe brand, dress shoe isn't exactly a growing category, but is it, uh, is it more with the casual brands or athletic brands, uh, more mainstream brands, I assume? This is Jonathan again. Yeah, I think it's it's the usual suspects and, and anything, any new trendy product where there's going to be a market for it. And, you know, I, I think that the with, you know, the barriers to entry to getting a counterfeit product out there are definitely falling in terms of being able to use social media and online platforms to get the products out there. Definitely cheaper for manufacturing. I mean, some of these, you know, could be done by 3D printing. So the, the barriers to entry on all types of products, um, you know, have fallen. And I think think that what counterfeiters are looking for also is is like any company is the ROI. So if a product has a high resale value and they can make it for real cheap, it's it's going to be a target. So in 2020, that would be, I would say that maybe Crocs, Crocs would be an example or Uggs. I would say there's two p- possible examples that, that had strong. That, yeah, um, I, do, I would do, agree with that. Yeah. Do you know which footwear brands were counterfeit most in the last couple of years and what global markets besides, I guess, China would be the worst markets for counterfeit product? Bob, I don't, I don't know the exact answer to your question, but I can tell you for U.S. Customs tracking their seizures. This actually goes back a couple of years, but I think the data is is probably pretty current. The number one type of product that is seized by U.S. Customs is wearing apparel and accessories, but number two is footwear. So footwear is absolutely a category of product that counterfeiters are targeting. It's the second most popular category after apparel. So it, it, it is a popular target for counterfeit activity. In China, I, I mean, China is its own animal. I've, I've actually right. attended raids of counterfeit goods warehouses in China, personally. It is shocking how much counterfeit activity goes on in China. A lot of it is via the internet and online platforms. A lot of it is 
was, you know, probably before the pandemic installs, but there is so much counterfeit goods leaving China, going all over the world, not just to the US, but a lot of it's coming to the US. And I, like I said, footwear is a second category of, of types of items that customs is seeing coming in that are counterfeit. Large companies like Nike and Adidas, for example, have their own people policing counterfeits and such. But I'm just wondering, <laughs> is this something that smaller or medium-sized brands could collectively do to help fight the issue if they don't have the resources individually to fight counterfeiting and IP theft? Um, there's certain ways that I think companies can pull together to combat counterfeiting. I mean, one of the ways that I think we should probably spend some time talking about is consumer education and trying to really educate consumers with respect to the damage that counterfeiting activities have, not just on brands, but you know, the global economy on the wider impact with respect to supporting organized crime, potentially terrorism. So I think there is some really great consumer education that can be done. And I think that is something that companies can and do band together to try to, you know, kind of pull their resources and educate consumers to try to kind of hit it on the on the demand side of the equation. That's one area. In terms of enforcement, I think it is in China, for example, China, the China administrative body that that can seize goods is at the police. And there's another body that can do that. They will only seize goods with respect to the brand that has requested has the evidence to support that seizure, even if there's other clear counterfeiting going on at a warehouse, for example, and you, those products are there, they will not seize them unless that other brand part of the action officially. So I think it maybe depends on the country. Um, but I think for enforcement, Sometimes you can band together, but I think a lot of times that that can be difficult just because of the laws of, of a country or because of the you know lack of communication between the actual companies that are being affected by counterfeit. Going back to the e-commerce, rising e-commerce sales of footwear and apparel, in, in the days before the pandemic, when you can see and touch the product at the specialty footwear store or apparel store, some people could who are connoisseurs of a particular brand could say, this is not a real product, where if you're ordering something online at some great price, you don't have that that first guard up obviously available to you. Does that make it even more of a problem? I mean, absolutely. In fact, what we're seeing is it's not uncommon to see, for example, a, a bad actor stealing photographs, for example, from you know our clients' websites, posting them on their websites to promote the counterfeit products, and then when the customer receives the product, it potentially could look nothing like the photo. I mean, that happens. And so there's really a lot of different ways that these online, these bad guys who are operating online can really dupe consumers. I think you're right. I think it's even more easier to dupe consumers in that type of model than an actual brick and mortar type scenario. Yeah, I was just going to say there are, you know, in terms of the on the ground enforcement actions that, that Susan has taken part in and that our firm oversees, you know, can be expensive. But obviously, in the digital world, there are things that that brands can do. A lot of the online marketplaces have programs where you can register your brand with that with the the platform. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes you can have an employee or maybe a, a college intern who's scouring these websites and filing takedowns. Certainly, on some of the platforms, you're going to be required to have a registered trademark, or like Susan said, you know, might, there might be, you know, they might be using the, the copyrighted photos, and you might be able to use that as the linchpin to take these down. It is a bit of a whack-a-mole. Um, the more you go after these, you know, the more pop up. But at a certain point, going, you need to take a stand to try to make a name for yourself that you're going to be a product that's going to be difficult to infringe or, or counterfeit. And that the more you can do that and send a message to people, maybe that dissuades them that it's not the right brand to to go after because they're going to face difficulty. 
difficulties and maybe there's another brand that they should, you know, can counterfeit with less headache. So that does become part of the enforcement strategies, trying to get out there and make a name for, for yourself. And then on the, the other aspect is in terms of collective action, there is some industry organizations into the International Trademark Association is it's a great industry organization. It's run by companies. And a lot of the activity that INTA is doing is trying to get tougher laws, enforcement laws or counterfeit laws in number of countries. And so that's another way that companies can maybe try to collectively get together and, and take some collective action. Are there any other new resources available to companies in 2021? I mean, I get you mentioned about legislation. Any new legislation that you think might be in the horizon under a Biden administration that might help fight against IP theft for counterfeiting? or a soft goods counterfeiting, I should say. Yeah, Bob, that's a great question. There, There is. Trademarks and counterfeiting are, are a hot issue right now and actually have been on the Hill for a few years now. We're seeing a lot of proposed legislation coming through the pipeline, and there's definitely a lot of things to keep an eye on with respect to legislation that could help with respect to decreasing counterfeiting. One of them is the Shop Safe Act, which I would highly recommend anybody who's interested in in discussing counterfeiting or or trying to alleviate the issue, keep an eye on. It stands for stopping harmful offers on platforms by screening against fakes and e-commerce acts. Kind of a mouthful, but it's called the Shop Safe Act. And basically what it does is it imposes obligations on e-commerce platforms that they have to comply with in order to shield themselves from potential liability for having counterfeit products being sold on their platform. So it really provides incentives for platforms to monitor and track and and try to decrease as much as possible the amount of counterfeit activity that's going on on their platform. And in exchange for that, they are allowed to basically be in a safe harbor type of situation to shield themselves from, from liability in the event activity does occur. So I think it's a really nice business-focused incentive program um, that hopefully will continue to make its way through uh, Congress, fairly promising. And if it passes, I think it'll be a a really nice uh, step to help alleviate some of these issues that we're seeing. Yeah, and Bob, back in 2019, there was a Counterfeit Goods Seizure Act that a lot were hoping would be passed uh, probably in the last Congress, obviously didn't get through uh, yet, but that's an act that would allow borders, the border and customs agents to seize goods based upon design patents. Currently, you can record other rights, but you cannot record your design patents with customs to have them enforced at the border. Other countries such as Japan, Mexico, uh, say South Korea, I think the EU, allow you to record those sorts of design rights. And the importance there is sometimes, say, in the footwear industry, the shoes may be imported without the trademark actually applied to the shoe. And so the same shoe design is coming in, but it just doesn't have the counterfeit aspect to it because it does not have the, the logo or the swoosh or whatever you might be applying to the shoe later downstream. And by allowing the design rights to be enforced, then people are able to stop the importation of the ultimate product before they even apply any of the logos to them. So hopefully that act gets through. And uh, to the extent that it's still working its way through Congress this year, uh, coming up in 2021, it probably behooves companies to start thinking about whether or not they're going to file their design patents, uh, because without the design patent, you wouldn't be able to have anything to record. 
And you have to file that design patent within one year of any kind of commercialization or offer for sale. Here at Footwork Insight, we deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, new young designers who have started new companies. And my question, I guess, is where should these new young companies begin when they want to protect themselves against counterfeiting and IP theft as they get started? Obviously, they don't have the resources or the sales volume yet, but they should have some plan, I assume, in place. Yeah, I can I can answer that, Bob. This is Susan. And I just want to go back real quick to legislation because there's, there's sure. one more that I want to mention. Sure. And that's another act that is making its way through Congress called the Inform Consumer Act. And it essentially requires online, mar- online marketplaces to verify and disclose certain information regarding high volume third party sellers of consumer products to inform consumers. And so it really has to do with the verification of the seller information. A lot of times as a brand owner, you might be able to identify counterfeit activity, whether it's on the internet internet itself or an online platform. And part of the challenge is trying to figure out exactly who the seller is without you know, having to do a test purchase every time or even sometimes with test purchases, the sellers are able to kind of shield their identity. So so the, the, the point of this act, I think, is just to have more transparency in terms of who is selling these products um, in the event a brand owner does need to enforce its trademarks against a bad actor. To answer your next question on what can small companies do, Um, to position themselves, you know, given resources and budget to try to attack this issue. I think there's probably four steps that small companies should think about taking. Number one is they need to secure the IP rights necessary to provide the basis um, to allow them to take whatever enforcement action is required. Obviously, budgets are important. So um, I think just trying to prioritize their resources to protect those trademarks that are the most important for the company and that are generating the highest revenue. So obviously the house mark is is usually important. Certain product marks may be important. And I usually tell companies to, you know, focus from highest revenue generating products to least, obviously, to just to try to focus resources to where it makes the most sense. Copyrights are often overlooked. Copyrights are a great way to, in some cases, combat counterfeiting. I mentioned that sometimes Bad actors will steal photographs from a legitimate trademark or legitimate manufacturer, brand owner's website, post them on their own website. Uh, They may take uh, ad copy. They may take, they may sell certain products that actually have copyright protection embedded in them. So I think copyrights are a great tool to, uh, and very inexpensive to to secure as much as you can to go after this issue. So copyright shouldn't be uh, forgotten about. Rob mentioned design patents as well. So there's there's different types of IP that can be utilized as the basis for objection. Uh, the next is to make sure that the companies have monitoring systems in place to identify counterfeit activity. There's lots of vendors. It's fairly inexpensive in most cases. And we'd be happy to to help anybody who's interested select a vendor that can identify issues for potential action. So you have to know about the problem. Just sometimes just even, you know, doing your own Google searching can can pick up issues as well, or just going on some of the platforms and finding non-genuine product. The next step would be enforcement. And there's lots of, and we could talk for an hour about different enforcement tools, depending on the problem. Jonathan mentioned, you know, takedown actions with platforms. There's Actions you can take against domain names that may include a a trademark. 
there's, you know, other ways there's working with government in some cases to try to have, you know, have them uh, do your dirty work for you and go after some of these bad guys. There's different enforcement tools. And then finally is the consumer education component, which we talked about, Bob, and just trying to educate consumers as to the problems with counterfeiting, why they shouldn't be duped, and even providing, you know, like UGG, you mentioned UGG earlier, UGG has a great portion of their website that educates consumers about counterfeiting. Uh, it, It allows consumers to type in their zip code or city to find authorized retailers of their products. So really trying to drive consumers to authorize locations and educate consumers um, on how to distinguish uh, against counterfeit products. So I think those are probably the four most important steps a company can take. She'll follow up. And that is just about the topic of RFID tags, uh, mm-hmm. or tagging footwear. Uh, is, is, I know every company can't afford that, but I think Nike, for example, is one that's talked about eventually having all their product RFID tagged. Is that a an avoidance of counterfeiting if they can track where all the products are at all times. Does it avoid more gray marketing diverging of actual authentic product or does that actually help with counterfeiting as well? Uh, I'm happy to jump in as Jonathan again. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it could be cost prohibitive. I mean, obviously the cost of RFID will, will go down in the future. So it's not going to be for everybody, but it is one mechanism to try to to control the, the flow of the goods you know, a lot of times companies have also used unique identifiers on the product. Some of those could be hidden just so you can kind of spot a fake. Some of them, you know, might be holograms, of course, with 3D printing and the, you know, the, the increased ability of modern day printers. Some of these printers can, can make their own fake hologram stickers. So that's not the, you know, the cure all, but the RFID is an interesting concept that we'll have to see if it, if it plays out. You know, Nike was experimenting or, or um, at least they had a patent publish where they were going to use blockchain to track their shoes. So that's something that's also probably potentially coming down the pike in the next couple of years. Um, no, but I, I do think there's other types of technologies, uh, as Rob mentioned, too, that we're probably going to be seeing. And I, I do agree that ideally it would be great if brand owners can track the genuine product but it is in some cases cost prohibitive. It does obviously increase the cost of the product. So if it can be done and if the, the brand owner can recoup that, that cost, then I think it's a great idea. I mean, in Nike's case, they've even um, narrowed down their number of authentic uh, retailers in the U.S. And now they're going to do it globally. So they, if they have fewer retailers selling their product, it's, I think it's easy to track. Uh, so finally today, I want to thank you, all three of you, for joining me. But I wanted to know if each of you or one of you wanted to talk about, tell our listeners about uh, Kenobi Martins and the services you offer to those fighting IP theft and counterfeiting. So Kenobi Martins is a specialty IP firm. All we do is intellectual property law, which is patents, trademarks, copyrights. We also handle certain technology law areas like data privacy and security. So we eat, breathe and drink this stuff. We've been in business for almost 60 years. All of us on this call have been practicing for more than 20 years. And I think all of us have only been with Kenobi Martins. So it's a really great place to practice law. We really care about our clients. We have a great camaraderie among the attorneys at the firm. And everything is very much client focused. We handle help clients from small startups to, you know, huge multinational you know, billion dollar companies. We have a ton of experience with counterfeiting, brand protection, patent protection. Yeah. And earlier in the discussion, Susan had mentioned uh, using, I think it was Susan, it might've been Jonathan mentioned uh, using either college interns or somebody like that to kind of monitor what's going on with your mark and to, to do the takedown notices. We've worked with some of our clients to help 
educate, train, and set up that kind of program for them so that it can decrease their legal spend overall. So rather than paying the law firm or paying somebody a high billing rate to sit down and do that kind of work, uh, a company can either team up with other companies or use somebody like that on their own. And we're happy to, to help set that up with, with companies to help save them money while they do the enforcement and the activities that they can do on their own. Well, thanks to all of you for participating in this Fort Worth Insight podcast, Susan, Jonathan, and Rob. Uh, and this is Bob McGee.